Hello, this is Aitana, and you are listening to season one of the Swim in the Strait podcast, where we talk with swimmers of all sorts from the New Zealand swimming arena, from swimming every day through the winter to crossing the Cook Strait. We will hear stories of passion, perseverance, and dedication. Welcome to episode four of season one of Swim in the Strait. Today's guest holds an impressive track record. She is the first Irish woman to swim the English Channel at the age of 17. She has crossed Taupo, Fobo Strait and Cook Strait in New Zealand, and she will be attending for the third time the North Channel later this year. I have the pleasure to talk today to Gronia Moss. Hello, Gronia. How are you? Thank um, you very much for joining us today in Swimming in the Strait podcast. Thanks for having me. I am very excited to chat about swimming with you today. I have so many questions and I want to hear so many stories. Um, so yeah, I think my first question is always the same. Have you always been a swimmer? Um, yes, I have actually always been a swimmer. So um, my dad was a bit of a swimmer and a water polo player. Um, he taught me to swim. And it's actually a really nice story. I was uh, swimming with him in the swimming pool. I was about six and a coach came up to my dad in Ireland and said, your daughter has one of the best natural techniques I've ever seen. Wow. And I'd really like to train her. I think she could be very good. Um, my dad apparently was, oh, don't know, you know, she's quite young and swimming's quite hard work, all that getting up early in the morning. But apparently at six years old, I can't remember this, but I was very determined and really, really wanted uh, to be a swimmer and really wanted to do the training. Um, so I started to train with a lovely man called Pat Simpson in a place called Coleraine in Northern Ireland. And um, yeah, kind of the rest is history. So I've basically swum um, at a fairly frequently since the age of six. Wow, that is very <laughs> impressive. <laughs> yes. Six is very young and very determined from such a young age. Yeah, I, I mean, what was lovely about Pat, Pat actually coached quite a range of people. Um, and um, so I got to train with people who were training for, for example, Paralympics, for, um, uh, you know, trained with a range of like older people, younger people. Um, so I really enjoyed that part of it. It was very kind of inclusive. And then when we were about 11, um, because of my dad's job, we moved and we moved to Bangor in Northern Ireland. And what was interesting there, there was a very active club and they had an awful lot more pool time than the club that I had been with in Coleraine. Um, and once when I was with Pat, you know, I was winning kind of silver medals at Irish championships, Irish school championships. When I went to Bangor, I started to win gold medals. Um, and the primary reason for that was actually just had more and more time you know actually to do the training because they had more and more pool time mm. um so yes yeah, so i've been swimming pretty actively since six um got my first international cap at 16 um, when i swam for ireland in the first world championships open water world championships in lake windermere and look i swam at a pretty high level till i was about 31 and then um I had got married at that point and then I started to have some babies. So I did back off a little bit when I was having my kids. Um, I'm very fortunate to have four children, so definitely didn't swim very often um, or nearly as much. Um, but when the youngest was about two, I thought, mm, I'm not getting any fitter. Um, I might be getting a little bit fatter and it's time to get back in the pool. <laughs> so um, my youngest is now 12. So yeah, probably about 10 years ago, I started to do a bit more. And then a couple of years ago, 
decided I wanted to get back into some really long swims. So probably been training very hard for the last couple of years in comparison to maybe the 10 years before that. That's very inspiring that you can have a successful swimming career and then just stop for a bit to do other things and then you find your time again and go, okay, I'm going to pick it up when I left it and just keep having a like a great career. Yeah, I think what you have to be able to do is realize that you can't be as fast. Mm. And you do um I know I've met a number of people who've really struggled with that. Um I did a speech one time about my swimming and actually somebody in the audience started to cry and they came up to me afterwards and they said, "You know, you've managed to, you know, be very good at one point. And look, I'm I'm still a good swimmer, but I'm nothing compared to what I was, you know, kind of in my 20s, you know, I'm not a fast um and she said but you know you've kind of come to terms with that and I said I have and she had been an international triathlete and she had she was finding it very difficult to come to terms with the fact that you know lots of people were beating her that she hadn't been beaten before and she was no longer at that level and I you know I talked to her about it it's also about choices I mean Mm. you know if you choose to have a family you choose to have a career um you know you just can't be at the top of your game on everything but actually you're at the top of your game for you yeah so what's yeah what's success for you and I said look you know success for me when I had four kids was getting in the pool three times a week yeah (laughs) I bet that was a huge success. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I had a chat with a a swimmer a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about that. How do you define success? And I guess in different stages of life, success looks different. And you just have to, you know, like make the most of it. Yeah. And I think with open water swimming as well, um, success is very personal I mean Mm. open water swimming particularly the long swims are a very personal challenge I don't think anybody can know you know what it means to you you know intimately I mean you know what it means to you I mean I have done swims um and I have finished the vast majority of my swims, but there is one swim that I didn't finish, which was um, probably about 30 years ago. I tried to swim from Ireland to Scotland and I didn't finish that. Um, I got really badly stung by jellyfish two hours into the swim. I was still swimming 10 hours later, but my uh, strength had gone because of the poison put into my muscles. Um, now, I saw that as a complete success. Mm. Um, because I knew that what I'd been through most other swimmers wouldn't actually have still been in the water after they'd been so badly stung I mean I didn't get stung by one jellyfish I basically swam through a swarm of jellyfish and was covered from head to toe so you know I was actually really kind of uplifted by that swim and thought hey I've done great now other people might have gone oh are you really disappointed you know you must be sad Um, and and I just wasn't so I think with open water swimming you do need to have um, a pretty flexible mindset when it comes to success <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I think I think so too because um also I think the open water swimming is not only the event it's the journey that takes you there yeah so it is it is not well I mean I haven't I have never swum competitively in the pool but I think with the events in open water swimmer you just yeah it just looks different yeah for its person yeah yeah, yeah. So I have so many questions about all of this already. <laughs> <laughs> so, for example, when when did you? Because you swam English Channel when you yeah. were sixteen, right? Seventeen. Yeah, seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. So, and you had been a, a pool swimmer before. Yeah. So, yeah. how do you go from being a pool swimmer to decide that you want to swim the English Channel? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, well, 
where I lived in Bangor was beside the sea and we had this um, open water swimming pool um, that was full of nice. seawater that was absolutely freezing. Um, but we would go there for a fun night every Thursday. It makes me laugh, you know, fun. I mean, it was... <laughs> Heels were blowing. It was so cold. Um, you know, I was a little, very skinny kind of teenager. Um, I would look, you know, quite blue. Um, people would look at me and go, you know, she really shouldn't be that good at open water swimming. Um, so what happened was we started to do fun races um, in the sea, and I just turned out to be quite good at them. And then the swims got longer and longer as I got taller and taller. And then at 16, the um, first open water world championships were held in Lake Windermere in England. And the Irish selectors decided that they would send a relatively big team of four swimmers and they decided to send me. Now, part of the reason was, you know, I was young, I was up and coming. I mean, the other part was is that literally in those days, I mean, you begged, you borrowed, you stole, you, you know, begged, borrowed, stole, like, you know, kit, um, you know, the, the money to kind of get over there. Um, so I got over to um, England and it was fascinating because there was 35 different countries represented. Wow. Um, the American team were there and they had four swimmers. They had four coaches. They had a head coach. They were staying in the five-star luxury hotel. The carpet was thicker in the hotel than the bedroll I was sleeping on in the campsite with my mum and dad, <laughs> you know, and no coach. What was fascinating, however, is that um, not a single American swimmer finished. Oh, wow. Yeah, the 25K. And look, they had everything. And for me, it was a real life lesson because they just had everything, um, but they didn't make it. Whereas what um, the Irish team had is, you know, we were hungry, uh, you know, we had worked hard, we had that determination, we had that grit. Yeah, we didn't have all of the flash gear, um, we didn't have all of the flash coaches, um, but, you know, we actually ended up performing better. So I ended up um, finishing that swim ninth. Um, so I, I always joke with my kids that I was once in the world top 10. But um, Nice. <laughs> <laughs> never, I love that. Never to be repeated, but anyway. Um, then... Um, Actually, those other swimmers from all these different countries um, said to me, look, if you can do this swim, you can swim the English Channel. And I was like, really? Because actually no Irish woman had ever swum the English Channel. And the last, well, there was only one Irish person had ever swum it. And they'd swum it in 1972. And I was looking to swim it in 1987. So there's quite a gap. And look back in those days as well, um, for those of you that are listening that are old enough to remember, I mean, there was no internet, there was no Facebook groups. It was actually really difficult to get information. So the breakthrough for me was going to those world championships and meeting all these other swimmers who then said to me, you can do it. And then I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And I did. And um, you know, I ended up making it across and was the first Irish woman to swim the English Channel. And that's... Um, Something that obviously I'm incredibly proud of, but also it's it's really lovely because it means that yeah I have that forever. Mm. You know, oh, definitely, forever, such so. an achievement, and yeah. also um, I, I guess um, the learnings and the the journey that we were talking about it just stays with you forever, and you can kind of use it in any other field of of life, which is something that I love about open water swimming that there are things that you can use in your day-to-day -day, yep. everyday kind of struggles or, or life yeah and look I mean so for me I mean I I probably at the time didn't realize you know I'm, I'm now 52 I swam that at 17 you know 
you're right. The learnings have actually, you know, shaped my life really significantly in a way that um, you, you kind of think, oh, it was just a swim. But there's probably two that I'd probably highlight. One was um, the English Channel's really busy. Lots of people want to swim it. I was actually the fourth swimmer with my pilot on the tide. So I didn't even understand all this. I didn't understand there was a queue. You know, I just thought you turned it up and you'd be top of the list. And who else would want to swim this thing? You know. <laughs> um, but what happened was the pilot, when he spoke to me, he said to me, look, are you prepared to go on a day that's not perfect? And you know, even at 17, I thought, well, actually, if I wait for the perfect day, I may never get in. Mm. And I said to him, actually, I am prepared to go on a day that's not perfect. Well, the three people in front of me had all said, no, we want the perfect day. So I went from number four, literally, to number one. And I mean, I just think that was a huge life lesson because actually there never is a perfect day. That is it doesn't correct. matter what you do. There's yeah. never a perfect day. Um, but it's far better to say, well, let's get on with it and give it a go. Um, now, the day wasn't perfect. The first three hours were a nightmare. Really, really rough. My father threw up. Uh, my brother threw up. They had to be tied to the boat for their own safety. Luckily, they were vomiting on the other side of the boat that I was swimming. Um, it was really, really rough. And what happened was after about three hours of swimming and I was pretty fast you know 17 was pretty fit and fast and I thought I wonder how far I've gone and I turned around and I looked back and in England you've got you know the White Cliffs of Dover mm. they're absolutely huge and the reality was I hadn't gone very far because the weather had been so bad and then you look at these cliffs and they're huge and it looks like you haven't gone very far and it was almost a soul-destroying moment and then I realized look I can't waste energy worrying about how far I've come. I've just got to get on with the, the task at hand. But again, it was another great life lesson around, like, you know, don't spend your energy looking back because you can't do anything about it. You are where you are in the moment. Kind of enjoy it if you can. Yeah. And, you know, think <laughs> <Fine>. forward. <laughs> <laughs> that is so beautiful because, yeah, I think uh, open water swimming is it's about that as well. Like just being in the now and not wasting your energy in thinking about all the other things that, that happen around you. Yeah. And um, this is also one of the things that fascinates me, how people, or in this case you, how you deal with your brain in those long swims when weather is rough and, you know, you see the cliffs and you go like, oh my goodness, this is... <laughs> I'm still here. How am I going to make it? How do you how do you deal with it? What do you think about if you do something special to kind of, you know, yeah. deal with it? Yeah, I think, I mean, the first thing is, is you need to be in a really good mindset before you get into the big swim. And, um, you know, the mental preparation is probably as much in some ways as the physical preparation. Um so, I mean, I recently swam Fobo Strait. That was Stewart Island to Bluff um, at the bottom of the South Island in New Zealand. And, you know, when um, Philip Rush rang me to say we on the Monday that we might go on the Thursday, I actually was close to tears and I thought my head's not in the right space. Mm. So, um, you know, I think actually recognising where you're at and then thinking, well, you know, why is it not in the right space? How do you get it in the right space? So I did some pretty emotional, at least, you know, big heavy lifting over those three days to get myself in the right space. I mean, I reflected on what I was worried about. You know, I also, um, I do have a faith, which I think is really helpful. So, um, you know, I kind of prayed about it as well. And I, you know, did some reading around it. 
Um, then I think when you're in the water, it is that thing about being in the moment. Mm. And the big thing for me with Fovo was first five hours were actually quite nice weather-wise. Um, lots of jellyfish, which wasn't so pleasant, and I did get stung a couple of times. But then at about 12 o'clock, suddenly the sun disappeared, fog arrived, it became choppy. And what I kept thinking was, well, it changed so quickly hopefully it can change back quite quickly. Mm. So let's not worry about it because, you know, anything can change. Um, so I think that's one of the things is I tend not to think too far ahead in the swims. I think, you know, focus on the moment, focus where you are. Um, and because I think if you think about it all too much in terms of, oh my God, I have five hours to go or 10 hours to go, um, you can become overwhelmed. So mm. I just kind of, focus on the next feed, think about my stroke, um, and also like, try to enjoy it. I mean, because, I mean, I had some wonderful nature, uh, for example, in Fovo. I mean, the jellyfish are wonderful nature. I didn't like the fact <laughs> they stung me, but they they look so magnificent in the water. Um, the water itself was an incredibly um, clear, uh, bluey colour that I hadn't experienced before. I mean, I had an albatross, you know, kind of uh, see it flew over me. Um, later on in the swim, I mean, it was amazing. I had dolphins. Um, but, you know, there is actually a lot going on mm. um, and a lot to keep focused on. I mean, you have to keep focused on the boat, keep focused on your stroke, keep focused on direction. Um, so, yeah, I find um, it's... It's quite almost Zen-like, you know, you get into quite a limited amount of thinking um, and just really trying to enjoy the moment where you can. I love that. I love that you can, you know, like just kind of look around and enjoy what you like. The, the, actually, the very special thing that you're doing and in the such a special uh, place as well. I love Fobo and I think it is um, such a great piece of water. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, I think that is so beautiful um, yeah. because sometimes we get yeah entangled in our thoughts and then we miss what is going on around and it's so beautiful. And um, I guess also you need to be fit enough to yes. be able to enjoy. <laughs> yes, fit enough and not in pain is probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's where I think coming back into quite big swimming after, you know, some years of not swimming at uh, 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 a kind of high level or uh, you know long distances it has been a bit of a journey for me to learn well what works for my body at, in my 50s compared to what worked for my body in my kind of you know teens and 20s um so what was great for me about Fovo because I'd, I'd done Lake Topo the year before and Lake Topo was a bit more of a learning journey in terms of what works because I hadn't done a big swim since I'd swum the Cook Street in 2001 and then I was doing Lake Topo in 2021. So, you know, 20 years between big swims. Um, what was great about Fovo was I kind of got all the lessons from mm. Lake Topo and my body did fall apart a bit after um, Lake Topo. Um particularly my shoulders um but at Fovo I had my training down pat I ended up with no injuries um definitely was pretty tired near the end but a good tired and you know I knew that my body was still able to manage so I never got to that point where I thought oh I wonder is something going to give out um so that did enable me actually to really enjoy the moment um whereas I have to say I really loved Lake Topo and um, probably for the first 32ks then the last 8ks were probably more focused on the fact that my shoulders were very sore <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, for the listeners to know that, like, Lake Taupo is 40.2k, right? It's the uh, biggest body of water, the fresh water in New Zealand. Yeah. So that is a huge swim and it yeah. can get uh, challenging. And um... Yeah, it can also get rough. And I mean, yes, it took me 14 hours, 49 minutes. So it's the longest time I've ever been in a swim. I mean, FOVO was 12, and a, 12 hours, 27. So, um, yeah, I think that extra couple of hours. Yeah, it does. It <laughs> does the, make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly in the fresh water, you know, because you're not quite as buoyant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we had a bit of chop near the end, which I think changes the way that you're looking um, and raising your head. So, um, but anyway, I still love that swim. It was great. Yeah, I think uh, Taupo is also such a special place in, in New Zealand. It's, uh, yeah. it's a great, great scenery. And yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Wow, I am very inspired. I'm very <laughs> <laughs> blown away. So I also want you to tell me about a story that I hear about crossing Taupo. Uh, sorry, crossing uh, Cook Strait. Oh, yes. <laughs> because I have this irrational fear. And every time I get in the water, uh, there's something in my brain that triggers that thought of being eaten by a shark. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I heard this story and I was like, oh, my God, I need to hear it from here. Yeah. <laughs> Please tell me what happened when you uh, were... Um, Swimming Cook Strait. Yeah, so Cook Strait was a really interesting swim for me. So I was meant to swim Cook Strait in 2000. And actually, if you look at the swimming records, nobody swam it in 2000. Nobody actually, well, I didn't even get in the water. Um, so, you know, you kept getting the call saying maybe tomorrow and then no, the weather's not good. Anyway, so I actually had ended up training for like 18 months. Anyway, 2001 came along. Philip had rung me a couple of times to say maybe the next day. Um, and that didn't happen. And then it was kind of third time lucky. So he rang me and um, headed down to um, Wellington. At the time, I was living in Ritterua. Um And I got in the water and it was just a terrible day. Uh, so the <laughs> forecast said that the wind was going to go north to south. About an hour into the swim, the wind turned round, turned direction. It was wind against tide. It was like a washing machine. My poor husband was on the boat. He was as white as a sheet. He was losing his <laughs> breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, and at the time, again, you know, I was relatively fast. I thought it would take me about eight to nine hours. And at about eight hours, like I still had loads of time to go. <laughs> I remember asking Phil, you know, how much further have I got to go? And he said, oh, about four and a half hours. Now, the thing I love about Philip, Philip's always really honest with you, which I think is incredibly important in these films. Anyway, it's about eight hours. It's starting to get a little bit kind of dusky. It's around six o'clock and um, I'm swimming along. And the next thing is, is the irb that that philip was in alongside me just suddenly puts on a bit of speed i mean it was quite close to me but it came really close to me they just grabbed me very unceremoniously kind of <laughs> on my bottom and my neck and just pulled me out of the water so obviously i thought oh we obviously have a problem um and the problem was is that there had been a shark that was circling um now i i didn't see it philip obviously saw it my husband saw it my husband who already was relatively stressed you know then saw a man with a gun pointing at his wife you know because they yeah. were pointing at the shark um then the rules in the cook Strait are that you because you're not in a shark cage and if you're at risk of you know imminent danger which they obviously thought that I was and I mean Philip talks about being able to see the shark's teeth oh my goodness <laughs> thankfully no. I I didn't no way. see the shark's teeth but um the 
what the, so you're out of the water um you're allowed to stay out of the water for up to 10 minutes but you're not allowed to be under any power so what happened was actually because the wind was going a certain direction i actually moved backwards about 800 oh. meters um then at about six or seven minutes um philip oh a bunch of porpoises came through and um philip said to me oh porpoises and dolphins and sharks don't share the same water um Apparently that might not actually be true, but I have never really investigated <laughs> that. And what then happened was I, I actually had a little bit of what I would call almost an out-of-body experience where I could almost see myself and the crew, you know, on the boat. Um, and I, because Philip said to me, are you going to get back in? And I became quite detached and I thought, well, you know what? Like, I've waited 18 months to do this swim. I've had about five phone calls saying it might be tomorrow. And I could stop swimming now and I could be here in 18 months' time in the same situation mm -hmm. or not be able to get back in. So, and what I realised was that actually my only job was to swim. It wasn't my responsibility to keep me safe. It wasn't my responsibility to set the direction. It wasn't my responsibility to pick the day. My only job was to swim. And actually, if I didn't do my job, nobody else had their job either. So I dived back into the water and I got to the uh, the South Island about four and a half hours later. And I've still got, I know listeners can't see me, but I've got two arms and two legs and no prosthetics. <laughs> and, you know, the shark obviously went away or decided I wasn't very tasty. Um, but again, that was a wonderful life lesson in terms of you know, what is the job that you have to do that nobody else can do? And what do you have to do that other people are relying on you to do? And sometimes it's quite simple. Um, and yeah, my job was to swim. And yeah, so I swam to the end and I've got a really good story. And so has Philip. He's got a very good story too. He tells it far better than me. Because <laughs> <laughs> he actually saw the shark. Thank God I didn't. <laughs> that is a wonderful story indeed. Like I am so impressed. And I think I'm going to keep it in my brain every time I get in the water and I get a little bit scared. I'm going to think of you and say, okay, it's all good. I only have to swim. <laughs> Yeah, so I um, with this waiting for ten months. Yeah, how do you prepare? Yeah, for so long. Yeah. How how do you make sure that you're always kind of ready to go? Like, yeah, look, I think I think sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. I think you have to be reasonable and you do definitely need to have some downtime. Um, so what is quite good, at least with the open water swims, you know when the next tides are coming up so you can kind of go, okay, I can take a bit of an easier week. Um, I think it is really, really hard. Um, and I think it's something I've got better at as I've got older. So um, I know, again, back to the North Channel, um, I had a really long waiting period for a North Channel attempt and I definitely didn't keep myself at the top of my game. It just, you know, just kind of ground me down. Um, so I think, again, that's something that I've kind of learned with age and you can't, yeah, you, you do need to listen to your body. You do need to give yourself a break, but you also need to be very conservative at the end of the day. You know, you need to focus on sleeping well, eating well and um, not heading out and partying. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so there are a lot of sacrifices that you have to make, but, um, you know, do maybe try and do some nice things that you think, well, I couldn't have done if I was, you know, 
going to go next week you know so maybe it's go to the cinema or go out for a nicer dinner or or something um but it is it's pretty hard actually i think it's probably one of the hardest things um, mm. open water swimming uh waiting for that date and trying to train for a date that you don't know it's particularly difficult in new zealand i think particularly difficult in the cook Strait. And what I do notice about the Cook Strait, it's more challenging than other bodies of water because of the inconsistency of the weather. And that can be really soul destroying for swimmers. Um, and it's one of the things that I think is also great about Wellington and actually the New Zealand swimming community. Um, we all understand the challenges of the weather and the challenges that you just can't go on oh, going next Tuesday. So we support each other through that. So I think having a really good swimming community really helps. But I, I actually probably think that that waiting and that uncertainty and the unknown is one of the most difficult parts of um, particularly um, channel swimming attempts and particularly the Cook Strait. Mm, definitely, because, yeah, uncertainty is, is crazy. Like, you don't know and you are just waiting there to see. And 10 months is a long time. It's yep. like, it's a long time to, to be prepared and to do sacrifices. And also, like, With all the training that you have to do, how do you manage to, to juggle all the pieces of your life? Because there are so many different things that you have to um, make fit, like the puzzle, the pieces of the puzzle just to make them work together. How, how do you manage that? Yeah, well, look, I think I'm very fortunate. I've got um, a fabulous husband. I've got lovely parents. So my mum and dad have been actively involved in all of my swims mm -hmm. um, since I started. And um, they were on the boat um, on the English Channel and they were on the boat at Fovo, you know, kind of uh, 30, 40 years later. So they've they've been on um, all of the swims. I think, I mean, it really helps now that my kids are a bit older um, and actually... Um, Fovo, it was the first time one of my kids ever came on one of the boats oh, and that nice. was very special um, a couple of the others did want to come on the boats but they get badly seasick so we decided that wasn't <laughs> a good idea Maybe uh, not. but I think you know being quite disciplined um, and, and also just being reasonable about what you can and can't do what you can and can't take on I mean the other great thing about open water swimming is you know, you do have those peaks of training. So people know that, look, they really need to lean in and support you, but it's not forever. It's mm. not, you know, every day of every month of every year. Um, yeah, I think just, you know, I, it's about making those little choices every day and then making the most of the time that you've got to do other things. So, you know, hang out with kids or get ahead of your work and, you know, good planning. I think yep. good planning is really, really important. And then you can kind of fit things in um, and also do them well. So I think that's probably another area that I've got much better at as I've got older um, because I've needed to, to plan more because, you know, when you're 17, you really only need to worry about yourself and your mum and dad feed you and, you know, clothe you and all the rest of it. Um, but now you've got more things to worry about. You need to plan better. And also your body doesn't train maybe as well. So you need to plan better. So um, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed actually that journey for myself because I think, again, it goes into other parts of life where you're, you know, able to plan better and you can see the benefit because you can get a lot more out of your plan. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I, it makes me so happy to hear that with, with AIDS, you get wiser. And yeah. <laughs> In some areas, maybe. Yeah, well, I'm just going to say that we get wiser. 
<laughs> it makes me really happy to hear that and also to see that open world swimming is a, is a sport that you can take with you for a long time because um yeah, yeah I, I just think that it's a fantastic thing and uh, yeah. very inspiring <laughs> yeah no i think it's a great sport it's a great community um i love the way it brings people together from all walks of life all age groups mm-hmm. um and you know, everybody's actually a winner on the day yes um and that's one of the things that always struck me even i remember doing a swim in ireland and i was you know again about 14 or 15 and i remember the man that came eighth on that swim and i remember the way his kid looked at him and went oh my goodness my daddy just swam around that lighthouse isn't my daddy amazing and i thought he was the winner on the day um and that's the great thing about open water swimmer mm. swimming everybody is actually a winner um and because you don't have that, I think, a different angle to the competition, you get a much more collaborative, supportive community that enables more and more people to be the best they can be. Yeah, and actually I can see that, that the open water swimming community is growing as well because it's such an inclusive and such a supportive community in sport that, as you said, like everyone is a winner, right? If you step into the water, you have already won the day and yeah. you have already won whatever you're attempting to do. So I think that is a fantastic and... and um, heartwarming thing yep yeah. and that's why also i love this sport that yeah. much yeah. yeah and what is next oh well what's next is um i've mentioned it earlier when i was younger i tried to swim from ireland to scotland i didn't make it um because of jellyfish the first time and actually the second time i didn't make it was i would say due to my poor planning i sadly got pulled out a kilometer from the finish with hypothermia um so I've decided that it's third time lucky um, yes. <laughs> and at the ripe old age of 52, I shall head over and give it another go. Now, the great thing about that is that um, it's the swim starts actually where I grew up in Bangor. Um, and the boatman who was with me um, over 30 years ago is going to be my boatman. And the so he'll be the pilot and the crew that were on the boat all want to come back for the swim. Wow. Um, one of them, you know, was 15. Um, he's got a bit older, just like me. Um, <laughs> so, again, I just think, you know, that's a wonderful basis on which to start. Um, you know that everybody there really wants you to succeed. Also that, um, you know, you bonded during what potentially people would see as a failure and, you know, 30 to Plus years later, the relationships are still there. Um, and yeah, people are yeah, actually, you know, giving up days off work, you know, kind of traveling to uh, be on the boat to support me. So, um, so yeah, June this month, that is, is the really, really big heavy training month. And then the, um, my tide dates are the end of July and the start of August. So, I mean, it's a very, very difficult swim. Um, Why is that? Well, it's pretty long. It's um, a bit longer. It's longer than Fovo. It's longer than the Cook Strait. It's longer than the English Channel. Yeah, so it's about 34 kilometres, mm. but you always end up swimming a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cold. Um, so, you know, it's about 14 degrees um, and that's on a good day. <laughs> um, it's tidal. Um, it also has some pretty horrible jellyfish. Mm. Um, so... The good thing about the swim now is that when I tried it a long time ago, there was only six people had ever done it. It had never been done on a first attempt. So there wasn't a lot known about the body of water. I think, again, now there's a, a bit more known about it. More people have actually successfully crossed it. Um, so hopefully all of that knowledge, including my knowledge of, you know, what works for me as a swimmer, kind of will compensate for the fact that I'm a bit older and a bit slower now. And uh, we'll, 
fingers crossed. It'll be a big family adventure. Actually, three of my kids are coming over to Ireland with me. My nice. mum and dad are coming over. Um, uh, Aoife, who was on the boat in Fovo, wants to be on the boat again. Um, and a couple of the other kids um, might come on the boat too. They're going to, again, work on that seasickness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow, that is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very exciting. So, um yeah, and and I think again, regardless of what happens, um, you yeah, it'll it'll have been a journey. I mean, that's a journey that uh, you know probably started actually just after I saw on the English Channel because I started to think about doing that after the English Channel. So that was at the age of seventeen and now fifty two. So it's been something that's been kind of present in my life, you know, either at a kind of sub you know subconscious level or a very direct level for a very long time so um, I think it's going to be a very interesting journey to reflect on um, and probably one of the longest journeys of a swim yeah it's um, a long it's a long journey but I'm yeah. pretty sure it will go fantastic and as you said regardless what happens it's, it's such a great adventure and uh, yeah 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 good yeah. well hopefully in maybe three or four months I can just interview you again to tell me all about it <laughs> Absolutely. Would love to. Would love to. <laughs> I have only just one last question. How do you cope with cold? Um, I think frequent swimming, I believe, is really helpful. So it's for me, I don't think it's necessary spending a long time, but it's doing it frequently. Um, so that was definitely um, when I was training in Ireland, uh, when I first started open water swimming and I probably didn't take to the cold particularly well and I was very skinny, um, but I would go in very frequently. Um, I think then, yeah, you know, then building up in terms of time. But what I would say is it's better to do like, you know, kind of three or four one hour swims a week than to do one four hour swim in a week. Um but yeah, I mean, the other thing I think is really important is your nutrition. So mm. I think um, I'm a great believer in hot drinks, warm drinks. Um, so a particularly warm drink before you go in and making sure that there's something um, that you have eaten. Um, I think it's really important. So those are, those are the two kind of tips I have for um, for coping with the cold. Good. I like I like those. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me also happy to know that that can be kind of trained. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you very much. That was fantastic. That was very inspiring and all the best for your next adventure. As as I said, maybe in three or four months we can talk again and you can tell me all about it. We'd love to. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Swim in the Street podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast, connect on social media at Swim in the Street and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform.